we think the poor bird, while it was in the migration route, got blown off or maybe injured and basically just got stuck there. And uh, just like helicopter cannot just land in Mescal Mountain, Brandt needs open space to take off, right? Plus, we later found out it was injured, so I am jumping. So it was just stuck there all the time for about a week. Wow. And sorry to do this to you, but I think that rules out presence of uh, your favorite topic, mountain lion, oh. at least on West Kill, because if it was there, we would not have. Started. Yes, of course, but maybe the mountain lion wasn't interested. So let's not let's. <laughs> it was already full and hibernating. I guess mountain lions hibernate in winter, whatever. They do. Okay, learn something <laughs> every day. Um, so basically, that's kind of. The background, how we knew that it was there, and basically the beer brought us to the valley. And um, if I remember correctly, Vesco just kind of became the Bushwhacks were some of uh, the worst days I've ever had in the mountains, or life, really. I, and I tell people all the time, never underestimate the Catskills. You can't underestimate them. Why the Catskills is such a great place for trout. It was really the development of New York State. Catskills were responsible. Now you're listening to Inside the Line, the Catskills. All right, let's begin. So uh, you guys, Yana and Jake, thank you on the new canister. That was awesome. Yana, great job. And Jake, great right up on that. Very good stuff. Uh, Yana, you said you had to had something about the canister today? Sure. Um, thank you, Sash. I guess two parts. One of them kind of really relates to your last episode when you talked about hiking Ashokan High Point and um, some of the historical aspect of it. I just wanted to give a plug uh, to not one, but two articles we had in the canister about Ashokan High Peak. My friend John Stasser wrote both of them. One of them was um, more of a formal historical profile, but the other one was more... I think it was called of caves and cavemen. Uh, so it was basically kind of the legends and the lore about the Shokan High Point. Apparently there are caves and people who are hiding in them, allegedly, some legends. Anyways, I want to say it was uh, published in 2020, spring and summer issues. So that was Excellent. kind of my plug to anyone who was interested about the historical stuff you were discussing in the last episode. I guess that was episode 58, 57. I'm not sure. Uh, 58. I'm not sure. I don't remember. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, it's 58. Yeah. My, my stupid yeah. winter one that I hated so much. Not stupid at all. You guys are very familiar with the history of the Catskills. I mean, Jake, you were up there with me. Um, do you remember seeing those, those big ancient cairns that we were walking by and stuff? Did you, any thoughts about that? No, what was that up in, uh, was that up on the side of, of a token uh the other day correct yeah what we're talking about yeah i just assumed that that was uh, some uh some agriculture that had been going on back in the day and um you know people piled it. no that's that's correct jake that's what I've, yeah. I've been told it's it's very very different uh perspective if it's you know indian heritage yeah. you know native american heritage or if it's 
you know, from the Americans building their their crops and stuff like that. Yeah, I just uh, it looked like you know that that highway there um, is is very well built. The Canopy Brook Trail, what's now the Canopy Brook Trail. So you know, there's several foundations in there. There's a lot going on historically. I don't know the full story, but um, I'm sure somebody does. Yeah, we'll definitely look at that. I'll plug that in the canister 2020 summer. If you got any any more about Ashokan High Point, Yana, please. Uh, don't hesitate to send them because that's that's an awesome historical place. Ashokan High Point, definitely. Um, spring and summer. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And also, so with reading the new canister, I decided to check out some some statistics from the previous years uh, coming up to to this year, and I was very very curious. So I I did some math and and stuff like that, and I came up with this math. So from um, 2017 or 2012 to 2017, when uh, I became a 3,500 club member, when I finished, there was a 28% increase in hikers and finishers. Uh, from 2017 to 2022, a 306% increase from club finishers. That is pretty insane. Same span, five years. Uh, yeah. a massive you know 96 92 percent difference or 292 percent difference sorry i mean you guys being with the club you you've you've known these statistics you're like every year every year you're like wow wow this is this is crazy are you happy <laughs> uh yeah i mean i'm happy that people are are you know doing the challenge and enjoying it i mean there's obviously drawbacks to heavy use of the mountains you know we all see certain areas are overused perhaps you know and there's there's some impact on the 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 mountain environment but i think it's it's good and i think we'll just have to you know wait and see because it's not we don't we don't know what's going to happen in the future whether people are going to continue to do this or whether we have like whether we're seeing sort of a spike yeah yeah, definitely agree with Jake. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there was definitely a bit of a drop off after 2020. So I'm really curious to see if those numbers will be sustained, right? Because not everyone who started hiking in 2020 attained their membership yet. But at the same time, to kind of to pivot to your favorite theme and applaud you for bringing this up all the time with the increase of hikers, even more reasons to get out and volunteer, right? Adapt the trail. Volunteer, yeah. you know, for the blowdown brigade, trail maintenance, uh, trailhead stewards to kind of educate all the new hikers and to preserve um, trails in the woods for future generations. It's not Hell just yes. about the patch, you know, but club does award the service award patch, which is a beautiful patch that you can um, um, qualify for after some qualifying events. So. Hell yeah. I'm going to actually, I actually download that the other day. I'm going to fill that out. Excellent. Look forward so. to featuring you in a canister next issue then. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> you can't, you might not be able to put my name in there. So yeah, I don't, I don't want it in there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love it. So excellent. Welcome to episode 59 of Inside the Line, the Catskills. I have two awesome people here that made a heroic rescue on West Hill Mountain uh, a year ago, was it? Four no. years ago. Four, Four years, years ago. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. So Jake and Yana are going to talk about their rescue of a goose, West Kill Mountain. You don't have, don't laugh, Yana. It's freaking awesome. I love it. 
we'll get into that later on. So, um, but thank you to the monthly supporters, uh, Darren Wright, Vicky Ferreira, John Comiskey, Jim C., Michael Bongner, David Mead, Matt Smith, and Sharon Klein. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Also, thank you to Outdoor Chronicles Photography for being the sponsor of the show. Thank you so much, Molly, from Outdoor Chronicles Photography Specials in Adventure Elopement and Adventure Couple Photography in the Catskills, Adirondacks, and Whites. Um, don't forget your pets, though. We're pet lovers right here. Actually, all of us are right here, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Um wouldn't be here otherwise tell the story if you want. <laughs> That's true. You'd be putting them to bed and not drinking like you are. Also, she is an officiant for getting married and a licensed guide. So don't you guys I hate it. Good. Yeah. Don't guess get don't hesitate to get a hold of Molly on all platforms. Thank you, Molly. Appreciate it. So what are you guys drinking tonight? I'm I'm drinking just drinking traditional American lager from the Yingling Company. Ooh, excellent. <laughs> nothing nothing wrong with that. Diana? Um, well, <clears throat> obviously you can guess what I'm drinking, uh, the one and only Westerbury, uh, which is actually tied to the story in many different ways. Um, for the occasion, I actually had to dig in my cellars and I got this uh, delicious blaze, which is uh, another sour. Excellent. So, going to enjoy that. And you? Of course, Westkill always. Um, I'm having a good Jack Daniels honey and ginger ale. I have to take it light because it's it's been it's been a crazy week. We'll, we'll, I mean, we're going to talk about that in a second. But uh, Axon, good to plug the Westkill Brewery because I've been trying to get a hold of him for at least I don't know a year and a half now. It's been ever yeah, since I, hope I you started. Get Mike. <laughs> he gets mentioned in every episode. I mean, he should. Him and Brios get mentioned every every, every episode. Sure, it's crazy. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, previous hikes, Jake. Besides Jake and Yana, you went on the same hike, actually. Besides Shokin High Point, you guys went on a hike. I mean, this is going to be aired Monday, so we won't have the freaking snow. But one of one of you or both of you tell us your perspective of your hike. I believe you went up Hunter Mountain, correct? Yeah. we. When, when was it, Yana? It was on Sunday? Oh, uh, yeah. So I guess like yes. three, four days ago. Yeah. Beautiful. Really nice. It's so Perfect, snow, perfect snowshoeing conditions. Sorry, Monday people. You know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> sorry, future. Right. Winter Wonderland, stunning. And all the 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 snow was hanging to the trees because it was wet snow, right? It was beautiful. Oh man. Well, because it was yeah. cold, right? Because we were actually thinking we would get snow bombs, but it was just cold enough that at the start the branches were kind of bendy. Um, but no, I there was just a little bit of snow falling, but just nothing at all really yeah the the drive the drive in was was so cool because i you know what is it 42 um you know up by the hawkett trailhead yeah um just like the way the trees were coming down it was like walking through a cathedral you know just everything (laughs) i almost felt like the 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 trees were going to touch my car they were all bending nice nice but scary at the same time yeah (laughs) because you don't know if that's going to fall in your car or when you're hiking it's going to fall on your head (laughs) But I also remember you you posting about you cleaning up some trash on the on the side of a trail from some losers. Utter losers. We did see some post holes, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. Probably the same bunch of people, and it was, <laughs> they just stopped, took, had a very nice lunch, and just threw all their trash over the trail. Just wow. disgusting. Yeah. Jake is the hero. He climbed down, and in another case, he had to break trail to climb up. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. 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 
because it wasn't the only place where they deposited the trash. And you can tell it was from that day, right? Because there was it was sitting on top of snow. It was not covered at all, you know. It was very obvious it was fresh garbage. Wow. I was really hoping to see those people, but alas, yeah. <laughs> now, um, when you guys did the hike, how was the, the trench? You guys didn't have to break Terrell, did you? Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, there was a very nice um, set of skis, several actually, and there was a trail broken out. It wasn't like fully consolidated, but on the way back, they ran into two guys who really walked in the formation, so they packed it down quite nicely. Nice. So our walkout was very quick and like nice. <laughs> Now, um, what are you guys is uh this is a good time to talk about uh selection for snowshoes for, for advice for people. Jake, what's your uh snowshoe? What do what do you have wearing? I use the um I use just the Tubbs uh Alps Flex snowshoe. That's what I I I bought those a few years ago and they've served me well. So I'm sticking with them. Nice. I like yeah. MSR too though. Yeah, MSR so you have both or you've tried both? I've tried I've tried both. I I, I don't currently have an msr pair but maybe in the future i'll get one of those too nice yana um i have msr lightning assets um nice. got them really for no other reason that everyone that i trust uh as far as gear that was basically the snowshoes they recommended so i got my first pair i don't know like eight years ago something like that and it was the older design where there was that fault with the crampon being busted and they uh, ended up failing you know, like three years ago. I mean, I fully expected it and I contacted MSR and even though the snowshoe was out of warranty, they sent me their replacement parts. But since I couldn't wait, I got another one. So I have two pairs are now very happy. The new design is great. Um, nice. It works for me. You know, I, I don't like to engage in the discussion which... Uh, pair of snowshoes you know sucks and mitch doesn't i mean they're all great like as long as you have a pair of snowshoes that's all that really matters don't be post holler you know? yeah yeah agreed agreed um yeah. i mean those ones though that, that you both have also have the the crampons kind of on the bottom so it's good grip for the steeper spots mm -hmm. like yeah so that's yeah. that's definitely what you need if you're going to look at the climb the 3500 clubs at least or 3500 peaks and the steeper pitches you know you definitely need that and jake <laughs> I remember you 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 ragged on me because we went up slide that one time and I didn't use the heel lift and you were like why aren't you using a heel lift that's oh that's yeah dumb yeah totally <laughs> you gotta use it if you have it the cheater bar is, is some some hardcore hikers call it but mm. it's great I love the cheater bar I don't know why I don't use them I just don't yeah <laughs> I have a feeling like I, maybe I'm scared that I'm gonna like hit my back heel on it. it's gonna rip it apart or something but I don't know. Maybe I just like working my my quads a little bit more and feeling the pain and then hating my life afterwards. <laughs> like always. No reason to work harder, work smarter. You know, that's the thing. When you're doing like 15 miles, you definitely appreciate it, you know, if you're doing a really long winter hike. Damn straight. That's a good idea. Yeah. I gotta I gotta get back. I wish I could, you know, this week. Uh, this past week was just, I, I swear, I think this was the biggest, busiest week of, of my life, you know, with work. Um, I went down during the snowstorm. I went down south to uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania and watched two straight shows, two straight nights of, of metal bands. And it was fantastic. Like a lot of August Burns Red is a, is a Christian metal band, uh, Christian death metal, really, which is really odd. But um, they were awesome going down in the storm was beautiful just to to hit that snow and and 
just to feel that. And then I, I get back and the next day, or I'm, I'm down in Lancaster and the next day, everybody's posting pictures of hiking the Catskills and I'm major jealous. So I was jealous of your concert videos. They looked amazing. Oh man. Phineas is an incredible band from like the early two thousands. Um, uh, Phineas is also the, uh, what was it? A, a priest in the Bible. And that's why they named themselves Phineas and they do a lot of, uh, I guess inspirational stuff. It's it's very inspirational, but I, I got a shirt from August Burns Red on the back. It says, uh, angry music for happy people. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, that's me. I'm happy. I'm angry yeah. at times. <laughs> but um, so some some news. I, I, I was looking this up. I couldn't find anything. So my friend from Instagram, Ted, brought this to my attention. I didn't notice about this, but the guy who did crap on Hunter Mountain at the John Rod lead to. Um, he pled to disorderly conduct and was directed to pay only a $355 or $350 fine and do 25 hours of community service for these face in the job on lead to an adjacent rock. So that's a, a pretty easy fine. Three, I mean, 25 hours. Let's hope he goes up there and freaking restores lean twos and stuff like that. They make him hike and work for it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, they're finding 250 bucks if you don't have snowshoes. So 350 bucks <laughs> is like a joke, you know, considering how many hours went into the cleanup. So, yeah, but at least it's something. Right. And it took a year, right? Because the original sentencing was meant to be in December of last year, right? Yep. Yep. I remember I was I was ready to go to that, but they, uh, I think they called it off and they did it digitally or something like that because of a second rise of COVID or something like that. But so thanks, Tad. Tad also brought this to my ascension, which is, uh, you know, I, I brought this up to Jake a little bit earlier. Today in Ulster County down in Rochester Hollow, a man was pronounced dead on the trail. A uh, 69-year-old male uh, apparently suffered some cardiac arrest, heart attack. Um, they tried CPRs until authorities reached them, and unfortunately, it was pronounced dead on the scene. So, once I get more uh, information about that, it really sucks. Uh, Rochester Hollow, very, very popular spot. Just very, very odd for in the Catskills, especially on such an easy trail. But once I get more information, we'll we'll talk about it more on here. But sorry about that. So, we, I mean, this is going to air Monday. So we talked about snowshoeing. Now we're going to talk back because it's airing on Monday and we have that crap storm coming in on Thursday, Friday, and then the freeze over Saturday. It's going to turn back to crampons and spikes. I would I would say almost full on crampons because we're going to have rain and then we're going to have oh we're going to have a thaw, then rain, and then a complete freeze over of negative temperatures. So yeah, bring everything that you can to the trail and I, I stated this earlier, you know, if you're going to be out, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I would suggest bringing a friend along with you or at least some 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 sort of self-rescue because ice is going to be everywhere. It's not going to be. I don't think there's going to be snow anywhere. It's just going to be all sheets of ice. So sliding down 300 feet of trail and hitting a tree or a rock is not going to be fun. And watch out for um, <clears throat> the water crossings. Yep, water crossings as well. Very ugly. Yeah. Blowdown too. Blowdown's gonna be yeah. wind wind's supposed to be projected up to 45, 50 miles an hour constant. So that's better yet, just honestly stay home. 
Winter yeah, season yeah. just started. You know, it's not going anywhere. Just wait a few days, let the water recede, and yeah, um, Great some idea. snow maybe fall on the ice. Yeah. Hey, Stash, I wanna, I wanna. Uh, I listened to your last podcast, and I just want to push back a little bit and just challenge you a little bit. You said uh, that you hundred uh, percent. Uh, you know, that you would never call for emergency, that you'll do your own, uh, <laughs> you'll do your own rescue. Um, uh, and you w- wouldn't call, uh, for help unless it was 100% emergency. And just think it's important, you know, from a search and rescue perspective that we talk about, uh, the importance of, you know, reaching out to, uh, to first responders to, uh, to the DEC. Uh, if you ever think there might be an emergency because they can help you in those situations, they can help you make sure that it doesn't turn into something worse. Um, and it doesn't mean when you call for help that you're going to, you know, be calling a rescue. It could just mean that, you know, you're making people aware uh, you might have a situation and they can also like give you, you know, some encouragement or some tips for how to deal with it. Um, so I just wanted to to push back a little bit there because I listened no. to that last episode and I'm like, oh, you know, like that's I you know appreciate the the, you know, the resolve. But, um, you know, you need to be smart as well. That's true. Very, very good point, uh, Jake. So like um, a lot of I've heard of a lot of people uh, up in the White Mountains and Adirondacks calling for rescues, you know, when they're a half a mile off trail and, you know, they're a little bit cold every time the Rangers will tell them to self-rescue, you know, turn around where you located. They see where they're located, follow the trail back to the trailhead, get yourself in the car and warm yourself up. No need to call for a thing, but it's actually a good, good point to if you have service don't like i mean i i know those new iphones have a an sos beacon thing now on it um that you can hit it and it hits at sos and it goes directly to like an emergency almost like a personal locator beacon it's really it's really crazy so a lot of i've heard of a lot about west that's happened has happened a lot and 95 percent of the time it's it's not needed people are located right off of the trail and stuff like that they're, they're there to the the people who you call, whether it's you know the DEC or in some states you know fish and game. Uh, they're there to help you manage a situation. So they they Correct. love the idea of helping you with that and not having to you know even get out you know get out and physically be there. And that's a good point. And also what what you said about um, calling in for a rescue, you you might not be rescued. You seriously won't be rescued immediately. That's the the thing people get is that everything, every time they get injured or something like that, they think in, in 15 minutes, a helicopter is going to come and reach them. Absolutely not, especially in the Catskills. Um, you have a, a canopy over you. So number one, they can't really rescue you by helicopter unless they haul you out into an open area, which is like a ledge, which is, um, you know, like Wittenberg Mountain had a couple rescues on there. There's a perfect spot for that. But that's why you you bring the extra stuff stuff Jake and I have learned over time for search and rescue having extra clothes extra layers you know extra you know like, like a shelter a temporary shelter emergency shelter stuff like that keep you warm until those you know it's going to be two to three hours till they reach you depending on the place even if in the in the shortest of places they're gonna they might not be over located in Hunter Mountain where you're at they might be over in Wyndham patrolling over there so that's a good 35 minute drive over there and then they got to hike up to you so very good point jake i just don't want to be that one guy on the on the news that says you know idiot and search and rescue team had to call for a search and rescue on himself <laughs> it happens to the best of us yeah 
It does. Yeah. And, you know, we have had uh, some people that have had unfortunate accidents. When you when you break an ankle on the trail, you have to call for a rescue. It is, it's it's not probable that you're going to get yourself out uh, two or three miles when you're up on, you know, the side of the Indian Head Mountain or same thing, Wittenberg, stuff like that. You have to. And I've heard of it several times. I remember hearing about a rescue up in White Mountain where a guy from Search and Rescue Team had no other choice but to call search and rescue. And he was deeply embarrassed. But then at the same time, you broke your ankle and you're up two or three miles with 3,000 feet of elevation gain. You're not getting down. You're going to only hurt yourself even more and put yourself in a worse situation. So, Jake, you're awesome. Thank you for plugging that in there. You guys <laughs> are plugging in everything today. Awesome. Makes it more interesting. <laughs> So let's get into this, a little tiny bit of Catskill Mountain history. All right. So um, a couple episodes back, I think it was with uh, Ramsey Adams. I was talking about the Shokin Reservoir and how it was a couple of towns that were overtaken for the reservoir, for New York City residents, for the tap water down there. So I decided to check out a little bit deeper info and uh, go a little bit further over to the west, over to the Pacapacan or Pacaton, uh, how do you say I that? I can't pronounce it either. Right? Pacaton. Pacaton, isn't it? Pacaton. I've heard so many different things. Pacapacon is one of my locals says it. I'm just like, that's not how it's pronounced. Could be wrong. Yeah. No, that's me. English is my second language. <laughs> Pacaton. It's it's like, it's it's seriously the locals say it like in, in like kind of like a Native American way, Pacapacon or something like that. But uh, I decided to check that out too to see how crazy that was. So I got this online. It, it actually didn't say who who wrote it, which was pretty weird because it was on the Times Union or something uh, around that. But it was also back in like 1993. So New York City, of course, has the best drinking water in the country, but it didn't come without a price. Most residents from the city are familiar with the Croton Aqueduct, uh, which is located down near Croton on the Hudson which was the first to bring fresh water to the city in 1842 and updated in 1890. The Catskill Aqueduct was next built between 1917 and 1924, bringing 40% of the New York City's water from a series of reservoirs 163 miles away from upstate New York. What New Yorkers may not know is that the six reservoirs in the Catskill Aqueduct, including the Ashokan Reservoir, is New York City's largest, were formed by flooding a dozen towns. The plan for the Catskill Aqueduct began in 1905 when the New York City Board of Water Supply was formed, allowing for the acquisition of property by eminent domain and the construction of dams, reservoirs, and aqueducts. In area, the area in question was formerly a farming area with logging activity as well as quarrying for bluestone, which ended up on the Brooklyn Bridge. So 2,000 people were relocated, including a 1,000 New Yorkers with second homes. 32 cemeteries were unearthed and 1,800 residents were buried elsewhere to limit water contamination. Residents were offered $15 from the city, $65 later for the Delaware Aqueduct to disinherit their relatives and rebury them elsewhere. In sum, four towns were submerged while eight were relocated to build the Ashokan Reservoir. When the dam was completed, steam whistles were blown for an hour warning the residents that the water was coming. Today, remnants of the foundation walls and more can be seen, particularly when the water levels are extremely low, which is often in the summer and fall. Now, now you can see it quite often, actually, but it, very little still remains. 
Although access to the reservoirs have been limited since 9-11, you can see some of these archaeological finds from the bridges. And you can also hike along the uh, Ashokan Reservoir, uh, Ashokan Rail Trail, beautiful spot. Um, the last eminent domain lawsuits in the Ashokan Reservoir area was not settled until 1940 and not until 2002 that New York City made any moves to acknowledge the history in the Esopus Valley. The NYDEP, NYCDEP installed an outdoor exhibition in all of New York that commemorated the lost towns and the feet of the aqueduct itself, when the intention to add exhibits at five other reservoirs. Sinus now shows the former towns, which is very, very little. It's just so like former site of Ashokan or former site of Arena and stuff. So the Delaware Aqueduct is the most recent of the city aqueducts, and it's sort of similar to the Cascade Aqueduct. The Pacapcon Reservoir, uh, aka the Downsville Reservoir, the Downsville Dam, was formed by not only flooding four towns, but also submerging half of the existing Delaware Northern Railroad. This reservoir provides 25% of the city's drinking water and combined with the Catskill and Delaware Aqueduct provides 90% of the city's water. In total, construction of these reservoirs and aqueducts resulted in the destruction of 25 communities and the relocation of 5,500 people across New York State. The inhabitants of the little village of Arena, which is located on the Pacapacan, are decorating their homes and putting up Christmas lights for the last time, reported the Oneana Star in December of 1953. That same month, the same paper recorded the final New Year's Eve party in Shavertown that would be held at Fletcher's Hall. After a night of square dancing, the building would be torn down immediately on January 1st. Today, the Pacapacan Reservoir, which is 15 miles long and can hold 142 billion gallons, supplies 25% of the New York daily water. The streets where the town folks once strolled their new home to brown trout beloved by fishermen who frequent the reservoir. Aside from the Pacapacan Cemetery, the reservoir itself is most visible homage to a submerged town. New York was fond of naming its reservoirs at the community they serve. The Neversink Reservoir, for instance, occupies the spot where towns Neversink and Bittersweet once stood. The Cannonsville Reservoir was also home to the now town of the same name. It's just something to think about when you're uh, running the tap water down in New York City. Crazy stuff, right? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's crazy. It's it, it it can go both ways. I mean, I mean, it is very sad. It is crazy that you had to bury up your or like dig up your family members and move them for the sake of New York City water. But at the same time, I bring that brings money to the Catskills, right? I think. Does it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I I gotta get somebody on there. I gotta get somebody in the DEC and then like like investigate them or something like that. Probably DEP, but DEP. I don't think they will come exactly. up on your show. Exactly. You're going to grill them. Exactly. You'd be like, what are you doing with our mic? <laughs> Never. No. All right. So that uh, Catskill Mountain history, uh, let's move on to the topic of the night. Let's go. So Yana and Jake are here with a goose rescue that happened on West Kill Mountain a couple of years ago. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank, Thank you for having us. very much. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about this. I remember reading about it on the uh, on the Facebook and stuff like that, but never got an in-depth about this. I, I don't know why Jake and I have been SAR team members for years now, and I never asked him about this. So how about we get into some background really quick? Uh, Yana, how about you first? Quick background. Sure, yeah, because I've been on your show before. Um, so I guess... Um, I'm a hiker, uh, bird lover, mushroom lover, 
I love to paddle. I just love spending time in the woods. I am the editor for the canister, serve with Jake uh, on the board of Catskill 3500 Club. I think I've been editing the canister for, I guess, four and a half years, something like that. Love the gig. I guess here's my second plug for the canister. Um, we went electronic shortly before it took over. So that really allowed to cover a lot more topics than before. Before it was uh, printed version limited to eight pages. Uh, by the time you finish listing the schedule of the club hikes and the members and the president's column, there was like hardly any room left for anything else. Now that it's electronic, we have tons of photographs and I always look for images, submissions, but we also cover lots of submissions from um, the club news, so you can learn about different um, opportunities and uh, just newsy events. Each committee member will uh, provide a detailed kind of update on their, I guess, committee, right? And, you, and um, you'll have a detailed schedule and the list of um, club members. But at the same time, you will have um, fantastic stories that kind of cover crazy adventures like the, uh, the Goose Rescue. Jake wrote about that. And uh, you have book reviews, you have uh, just kind of uh, historical profiles, um, and uh, we have members contributing um, who have numbers, you know, under 100. Seriously, yeah. we do. Uh, we have uh, people from just different generation of hikers continuously uh, providing very educational articles or just reminiscing about our adventures or different advice, how to hike with the kids. We definitely love that topic. Um, various advice, how to hike with infants or camp with kids in winter. I mean, we have lots of, like a lot of the guests that you had. Um, most of them have been featured in a canister in one way or another. So if anyone who likes to write and um, wants the story to share, please hit me up. I uh, would be very happy to chat. Anyways, um, yeah, and I guess uh, the other thing uh, I, I'll mention um, since the last time chatted with you um very proud to say they finished the catskill mountain club grid nice. um i think i'm number 55 um definitely very proud of that fit and i guess i will give a plug for cmc as well cmc took over the grid and the four season patches from the apron minkle hikers who originated the award about 20 or so years ago so you have the original patch for that and um they don't advertise it very much. And yeah. I think people may not even appreciate it, uh, but they have it and they have a couple of other really awesome awards. Um, CMC trails patch, the trails that they actually built this collaboration with the DP uh, on the DP lands and then the old trails challenge. So yeah. excellent patches from CMC and uh, they agree it is the more kind of environmentally friendly one because they, once we lost Graham and Double Top, they um, substituted trails, peaks that already had the trails. So they would be minimizing any further kind of environmental impact. So um, I guess that's all about me, really. Thank you, Yana. I will plug your email in here, by the way, if somebody wants to write a something about there. Hopefully I got some good people that will write some stuff for you. And you'll have Thank contact. you, Sash. Please. Anything hiking related to the Catskills? Love to hear awesome. about it. Jake, how about you, sir? A little bit of background. Yeah. Um, I started hiking in the Catskills, I think it was 2013 or so, and I liked the challenge aspect of it and the peak bagging aspect of it. And um, you know, started doing did the did the regular season and then the winter and then started hiking the Adirondacks. And um, I've met so many great people uh, over the years uh, in the hiking community. 
including Yana and including Eustache. And I've gotten involved with the uh, 3500 Club uh, several years back. And now I uh, run the Aspirants Committee uh, on the on the club, which is really just part of the membership process. And uh, I'm also uh, on the SAR team with Eustache. Uh, I've been on the SAR team for, what is it now, two or three years now. So yeah, It's been um, almost you know, two years. Yep, and I hike all over the Northeast and uh, currently working on the the winter 115, although uh, it's, you know, might not, might not happen this year. I'm in no rush to finish it, but certainly looking forward to getting up to New Hampshire for, uh, for, uh, you know, at least finishing the, the winter 48 this, this winter. You guys are crazy. You both are, uh, and any 115 finishers, correct? That's right. Wow. Unbelievable. I seriously don't know how you guys find the time to <laughs> get up there and do that in New Hampshire and Adirondacks and everything. That's crazy. We did a lot of it together. So, you know, once you have a buddy, it's easy sometimes to be able to drive up together and hike very different things. But you have a, you know, friend for long ass drive and and have a dinner with, right. you know, sometimes bring your dinner to the trailhead. You know, that was nice. Yeah. Too. <laughs> nice. Well, crazy, crazy stuff. So, Jake, yeah, thank you both for the 3500 uh, contribution there because um, the canister number one is, is a a fantastic way for information about the club and then jake the aspirants is you guys have been taking on some serious baggage for the past two three years with with aspirants and with just the canister in general so the crazy thing is is i remember looking at the canister back in 2017 and seeing the amount of club hikes and you know it wasn't wasn't that much but it was it was a decent amount now i think it takes up three pages <laughs> Mark did a fantastic job recruiting and training hike leaders. Yes. Um, so, yes, if anyone is interested in joining the hike leader program, please contact Mark Friedman. Yeah. Yes, you can plug it too. Yeah. Or if you're interested in just joining the hike and you, you want to get to know some awesome people, definitely join a club hike and you want to know some stuff, your bushwhacking skills, you know, winter skills, stuff like that. They have everything and they will help you out. The community will help you out. Awesome stuff. I love the 3500 Club. I'm leading a leading a couple hikes in January. If anyone's interested, Panther and Slide, nice, which are both required for the winter for the well for the patch. So as winter hikes, hell yeah, we'll have to join that. I'm going to join it in a different name and be like, yeah, I don't have anything <laughs> available. You guys got to supply me. You guys got to supply me with everything. That's really funny. <laughs> oh, sure. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really should have said that far more than contacting Marv about becoming a hike leader, check out the schedule. I mean, for the winter weekend, I think there's probably like between 20 and 30 wow. different hikes. So the winter weekend, I want to say is the 18th and 19th of January, something like that, right? So, and the festivities will be in the Catskill seasons in, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think I read that. Yep, yeah. Catskill seasons in again. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the name of the place, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, just all hikes. Everyone is welcome and uh, just make sure you contact the hike leader ahead of time. I mean, Jake probably could do a better job describing how it works if anyone is interested. <laughs> yep. Right now it's, it's an email, you know, you, you find the hike leader's email address and you just reach out and it helps if you, um, you know, in that first email, you just tell the hike leader who you are and what your experience is and just, you know, give them, give them a little something. So they, you know, they don't have to initiate a long back and forth conversation. Um, unless, of course, you already, you know, know the hike leader, in which case, you know, they'll usually be happy to have you. Hell yeah. 
Yeah, and of course, and of course, yeah, and we and we encourage that uh, you know if you've done a lot of hikes, you do and you do join the club as a as an aspirant or eventually a member, um, just because you know it's a good way to give back. Um, you know, it's not 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 free to run the hike hike leading program. You know, we we do you know need insurance. So yeah, yeah. awesome training. Plug yeah. in the thirty five hundred club. I love it. Um, so well, we're board members. What do you expect? I know. No, I I mean. <laughs> being a former board member as well. I, I, you know, I, I jumped in a crazy time and I think I got a little bit too much on my shoulders at that time. So, but I, I now am more fond of the 3,500 club with being what you guys got to deal with in the Catskills and what you guys do for the Catskills. It's, it's, it's astronomical. It's incredible. And a lot of, a lot of things go behind the scenes, which you don't think that they do. And it contributes to the cat skills more than you think it does. So if you think you're just getting a patch, you're getting a patch, but you're also getting some award from one of the top contributors to the Catskill Mountains. So um thank you guys for volunteering again. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank yeah. you. And thank you for you know highlighting us all the time. Definitely appreciate Always. it. So let's get on to it. How what what the hell happened on West Hill Mountain? <laughs> like, somebody <laughs> describe it, please, because I'm, I don't know. <laughs> sure, I will start. And I think Jake should talk through most of the story because, um, well, you will hear it. So basically, um, it kind of goes back to West Hill Brewery. It opened less than a year prior to the event, and it was very popular. And I will be honest with you, a lot of my hikes then and still now kind of tend to be around Spurston Valley because I just love going to the brewery after the hike. Um, so I was already kind of thinking, oh, maybe Westkill or maybe something in the neighborhood. And then Ken Posner, who was on your show before, nice. posted on Facebook a kind of blurry picture of what appeared to be the duck. And just below the cave and the 3500 sign and basically asking if anyone, obviously jokingly, lost their pet duck. And uh, so we heard it was there and there was a massive ice storm. Some people may remember from social media, John Fellows was posting yeah. those crazy pictures from their pen, right? So everything was just in cast and ice. So we think the poor bird, while it was in the migration route, got blown off or maybe injured and basically just got stuck there. And uh, just like helicopter cannot just land in Westkill Mountain, Brandt needs open space to take off, right? Plus, we later found out it was injured, so I am jumping. So it was just stuck there all the time for about a week. Wow. And sorry to do this to you, but I think that rules out presence of uh, your favorite topic, mountain lion, oh. at least on West Kill, because if it was there, we would not have. Started. Yes, of course, but maybe the mountain lion wasn't interested. So let's not let's. <laughs> he was already full and hibernating. I guess mountain lions hibernate in winter, whatever. They do. Okay, learn something <laughs> every day. Um, so basically, that's kind of. The background, how we knew that it was there, and basically the beer brought us to the valley. And um, if I remember correctly, Westkill just kind of became the mountain to hike because we figured it would be interesting to see it if it's still there. That it was just a random, a random hike that you. Oh, not a random hike, but you guys wanted to go up there to rescue it to see if you can find it. No, we we weren't. We weren't. No, I wasn't planning. 
Geese. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, what do you call them again, Yana? Uh, brown goose. And of course, back then, I didn't even realize it was a goose. Like, I never even heard of it before. It's not something I would see it. it the bird breeds in the Arctic, and then when it migrates down from New York, it just never passes through where I usually look for birds. Don't you call, don't you call those cobra chickens? No, that would be Canada. Ah. Yeah, yeah. No, this one was very cute and small and <laughs> so they mostly friendly. They look a bit like a Canada geese. You can look it up. You know, they have some of the same patterns. And so, you know, I could understand how someone could confuse them, but they are a bit smaller. And of course, their, you know, their migration pattern is different. They, you know, what is it? They summer up in the sort of the Hudson Bay area, so up in Canada, and then, you know, in the wintertime, they come down to the mid-Atlantic shore. So it was probably on its way to, you know, the Jersey shore or something. And, you know, they fly at about 3,200 feet. That's their typical sort of migration elevation. And um, they, uh, you know, he must have, West Kills a little higher than that. So, um, you know, perhaps in the weather, I uh, did not avoid the mountain. And that wasn't the only, the only goose that we heard about that year. Uh, being up in the mountain, I believe there was another one up there on another mountain as well. So it happened. Uh, wow. And of course, it happened in the past as well. <laughs> Excuse me. So now, how did you find it up on the mountain? Like, the, like that's just, that's really, you know, geese, how far, how, like, like two and a half, three feet tall, maybe? How the hell did you find that? Oh, gosh, I think it's like 20 inches. Oh, not even two feet. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty small. I mean, Jake is right. They do look a little bit like cobra chickens, but very miniature version. Basically, you know how you get over, there's that sketchy spot like two miles in, and then you have essentially a flat section with some ups and downs, but it's pretty flat overall, right? And that's where you have the balsam firs, just beautiful area to walk into. It was basically waddling or, you know, sometimes sprinting, depending who it was near, just up and down, right below the cave. And uh, Jake, do you remember if you saw it first or I saw it first, but basically it was just like right yeah. there and it started waddling away from yeah, us. Yeah, it was, it was on the trail. You know, it was it definitely stuck out as being a, a creature that really does not belong in that habitat. You know, it was not... <laughs> Now, if you were a fox, you would not have had much trouble with that with that bird. So, you know, it was and, and it was hanging around the trail. You know, someone else obviously can't have seen it on the trail before. So, um, you know, it was on the trail when we first encountered it. And then when we came back, um, it was still right along the trail. So for some reason, it liked that area. Um, Interesting. And, and it, like when you when you approached it, did it seem uh, like injured or anything like that? I mean, it certainly could not fly, right, and attempted to take off, but it really couldn't. So it just picked up the pace and kind of mostly was traveling up and down the trail. Wow. I mean, it, it it did dart into the bushes here and there, but basically it really stuck to the open air, which kind of makes sense, right, because they live out in the tundra, and then when they come down for winter, they live in, like, marshes. So probably being... Amongst balsam firs was a claustrophobic yeah. fruit, so just wanted to stay in any open space that it could. And, and you know, the sad and crazy part is that there was absolutely nothing on that mountain that it could eat. Yeah. Is, so is that what you got it to to follow you guys and stuff? Like, did you were you prepared to lure him down the mountain? Really? He didn't follow us. No. Oh, we, really? We, oh. No. Um, 
So, you know, I, I think when I first encountered it, I uh, sort of, you know, half-heartedly chased it around a bit because, you know, Yana immediately was like that, that, you know, like, I know what that is. That's a brand. And, uh, you know, of course I was like, that doesn't belong here. Um, so we thought, oh, maybe what, what, what if we could help it out? And, you know, I tried chasing it around, but they were like, well, if we, if we do that, if we catch it, our hike's over. So, you know, we ended up <laughs> going up to West Kill, uh, you know, and uh, then on our way back down, we're like, we're going to keep an eye out for it, uh, hopefully run into it. And we did. It was right there where we saw, saw it. And, uh, and then the, um, you know, it wasn't going to follow us down. And it's a wild animal. We didn't have enough goose food uh, to make it do that either. So we figured out oh, we're going to catch it. And uh, so we uh, started, I started chasing it around and we basically teamed up you know, to corral the goose, um, into a place, into a position where one of us could catch it. Um, and it was fairly easy. I mean, it took a few, a few back and forth runs. Um, but it, you know, the, the, the goose is not adapted to that environment. So it, it, it was fumbling quite a bit. Um, and it was slow relatively. It was lunging and sort of, you know, attempting to fly, but obviously not effectively. Um, and I believe I, at some point I chased it and, and Yana was able to get a hand on it and it sort of went to the ground and then she d- dove into, you know, the spruces, um, and <laughs> grabbed the gooses, the goose. Yeah. So I was just like totally lying across the trail with my hands outstretched into the bushes and the goose was basically trying to escape from me. It was quite comical. I'm glad that Jake did not have a camera. I, I should say I was glad at the time because I'm sure it would have been just ridiculous. But now I kind of wish he did because he just cannot make the sound. You know, sounds like <laughs> yeah, flying right? across the trail, holding a goose, you know, that's trying to escape. And yeah, uh-huh. It, it, it was uh, not your typical last kill experience. Was, yeah, was, then- was it like aggressive? Like, I mean, besides flying, was it flying at you and stuff like the like the, the Canadian geese do or was it? No. No, no, no. I mean, like, I don't think they're anywhere close to Canada geese just in their demeanor in general, but also, mind you, it's been there for at least like a week, right? It was weak. It was hungry. But it was, of course, trying to put up a fight. It was trying to escape, and I was just trying to, you know, hold it. Was it pecking at you? So... Not until later, and I will (laughs) share that. Let's let's keep that. So, Jake, go ahead. Yeah, I think you're... (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, um... Yeah, they they uh they have you know rounded goose bills. Uh, don't they have teeth, Yana? I think I think it had little teeth, which is funny. Um, I don't know. <laughs> little little goose teeth. Yes, if I remember correctly. Anyway, you know we Yana Yana grabbed it. Um, we secured it in uh, I believe what Yana's backpack cover, <laughs> and that basically you know basically immobilized it, so it couldn't keep flapping and escaping. And it was, you know, it was not happy, but at the same time, it didn't have a ton of fight in it. So once we sort of wrapped it up, you know, and then we're like, wow, we like, we were going to catch the goose and we succeeded. Now, like, (laughs) we didn't really think about what happens next, right? (laughs) Like, I don't think we really expected to actually get it, right? I mean, I didn't really expect to get it. I thought, you know, I'd give it a good shot. Um, but <laughs> yeah, and people on social media under Ken's post, they were like, Oh, you know, you should go and rescue. And everyone was just like, Yeah, uh-huh. right, you know, is, is that a cat? You know, you, 
Yeah, uh, but I think we were two and a half miles up the road, probably even more from the car, right? Because there is a bit of a roadwalk, but definitely two and a half miles on the wow. trail. And like this was so this was basically right before the approach to uh, the lookout, right? The it's just under the cave. So that's yeah. that's a hell of a haul for so you caught it there. And then you descended down the mountain with with massive ice. So that that must have been scary to have, you know, a, a brand in your backpack and then also protecting yourself at the same time. You're like, I don't want to hurt this guy. Oh no. Jake carried it in his hands. Oh, oh it wow. Yeah. It was wrapped and the rain fly. Yeah. It was swaddled like a baby. Oh my god. Yeah. And it didn't like like peck at you. It was basically because it, I mean, it's been a week out there, so it's probably just fatigued like crazy. It it packed, but I'm used to my my dad has a has a parrot with a big sharp you know parrot beak and <laughs> compared to that this was this was nothing it's got a rounded bill you know it's for goose bill um you know and so sort of rubbing and and pushing with its beak and you know shaking a little bit um but you know after a little while it it didn't you know I realized that <laughs> it wasn't any point in, in packing too much um so yeah I carried it I carried it down I kept uh you know, I just walked very carefully, um, you know, every step, you know, I didn't have the use of my poles. I'm sure if I, if I had poles, they were stowed away. I was you were carrying my poles. Okay. Oh. Yeah, so yeah, just no, yeah. no slipping allowed. Um, <laughs> but uh, thanks to uh, the micro spikes that I was wearing, uh, they did the job. Nice. Yeah. Um, so now, on on the way down did it did it like like at times you know there's some certain times when you see on the the internet of course like an animal gets rescued and stuff and it looks back like i've always seen like when like sometimes when bald eagles get rescued they'll fly up in the the tree and then look back at you and be like hey thanks a lot or something or or something like a a fox or a bear will run and then look back and be did it at any time to like kind of like give you that signal of like hey you guys are doing you guys are helping me out thanks a lot we um yeah we didn't we didn't release it uh actually we took it with us and we had delicious dinner no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> no we um we'll be fantasized about the dinner <laughs> you should mention the name <laughs> really bad so yeah we um yeah. we did encounter a few people you know and it was we had to explain ourselves and you know people don't usually see that so <laughs> yeah um, like yep this is this is what we're doing we're gonna you know so at that point the idea was we're gonna get done and we're gonna you know make some calls and try to figure out like what's the next step because when you encounter uh, any sort of wildlife that's uh injured you know and you're interested in in helping it um you know there's people out there who can help wildlife so uh, we didn't know who that might be but um we were gonna we were gonna find out and we had an afternoon to do it so you want to you want to Tell a story, Yana, of, of uh, going to the West Kill or? Sure, sure, yeah. But I guess uh, I figured you were going to share the name for the oh, host yeah. that we gave it in the trail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, so this happened um, on the on the day that my favorite sports team, which is the uh, the Boston Red Sox, were going to play game five of the, of the World Series in 2018. I had that on my mind uh <laughs> sort of nervously but um 
star Red Sox right fielder at the time was Mookie Betts. So I'm like, well, I'm going to name this duck goose after Mookie Betts. And so we, we named him Mookie. And of course, Yana also wanted to contribute to the name. And Yana, what did you contribute to the name? So the, I gave him his last name, Schmaltz. <laughs> Schmaltz in Yiddish is absolutely delicious. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and fried from a poultry. Oh man. <laughs> so that's, that was like really bad. So his name was Muki Schmaltz. And um, unfortunately for me, fortunate, I'm just kidding. I would never do that. <laughs> fortunately for Muki, he was not turned into Schmaltz. <laughs> Uh, so eventually we get down uh, back to the car. And I think we either carpooled the day or we just decided to use one car because obviously somebody had to hold the goose. So um, that's where the funny part happens. All the ice that fell, um, it kind of started to melt uh, once we were in the summit. Uh, so basically we really had to change our layers because they were just like absolutely soaked. So uh, what I did is that I put on my puffy my puffy is filled uh, with goose feathers. And um, yeah, and at that point, I was supposed to be holding Mookie and Mookie was very docile until I put on my puffy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he just went totally crazy and he started pecking. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> so I don't know, maybe he smelled the relative, but it, it was um, definitely a noticeable change. So anyways, off we go to the brewery. I mean, it was pretty easy choice because there's not much else out there. And we knew we could, uh, you know, get a phone call or some advice or something. Plus, that was the main reason why we were in Spruston Valley to begin with. So Mike Barcon, uh, the owner of Vesco Brewery, he gave us a box to put uh, Mook in and they put some holes in there. And then he called up um, Late Missy um, from the friends of the... Feathered and furry wildlife. Feathered and furry. I can, yeah, it's yeah. A tough thank one. you. It's a tough I mean, one. I, I always, yes, lots of Fs. But anyways, amazing people uh, in Lexington. It was like about 10 miles away. So he called Missy and uh, she was waiting for us when we got there. And uh, she immediately told us everything, you know, we, we needed to know about uh, brown geese and what they were uh, supposed to be eating and obviously what. Poor Mookie didn't, and basically she took a took it off her hands. Uh, but then she kept us informed of what was happening. So we later found out that Mookie got X-rayed and she had a broken wing bone. I think it's ulna or something. I, I don't remember. Wow. Do you remember how it's called? Jake? I'm not sure which which bone it was. Um, yeah. She she also be, she also it, became a she. By the way, you snuck that in. There. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, it was not. It was not. A, but you know, <laughs> movie Mookie goes both ways. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but it was really funny because Missy said, and I actually copied it. Only female could have survived the broken wing, thirty-five hundred in a pine forest of ice in a foot of water, waiting patiently for a ride down the hill. Aww. So that's Missy said. Yes, um, but yeah, uh, but she was obviously very malnourished and it took a bit longer for her to get better because they also wanted to make sure she put on some weight to be able to do the migration and um i think she was released maybe like six weeks later and then they just dropped her somewhere south and released her now was it like um when they when they contacted did they do a post about this 
Because they usually do great posts. Star posts, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have mm-hmm. to look that up and and post and uh, post that link. Yeah, I will send you the links. Yeah. Awesome. I have them. Yeah. Now, any any times did you did you think that like you wouldn't? I mean, trying to catch it, you probably didn't think you would it would happen. But any other times where you were just like, man, this is not going to work out. Like, what the hell are we going to do? No, I wouldn't say we. Uh, you know, once we had it, we're like, we're we're, we're gonna. We're going to have it until we, we give it up. And fortunately, you know, of course, we didn't want the we didn't want the goose to um, suffer more than she had to or to, you know, something bad to happen to her. You know, like, you know, it must have been very stressful for her. Um, and I'm sure she was pretty weak. But, um, you know, you know, we took we took good care of her and uh, and passed her on to the next the next person. Wow. That's just so crazy that up there and and you caught it like that that's just the thing that baffles me is that you you caught it and then brought it down the mountain it's it probably panicked at time but then at the same time it was also like one of the like a a, a wild dog it's just like oh my god thank you so much unbelievable now what did the they they said it was a broken like wing that's so that's pretty no 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 other problems or something besides being you know like probably hungry no, none, which is very surprising. But um, you know, birds are very resilient animals, and stor- crazy storms happen, right? And they sometimes may not be able to feed for quite a while, depending on the conditions. So I guess the birds are kind of preconditioned to it. But it also suppose explains why she was so stuck on the trail and wasn't able to go far, right? Like she could not like fly up a tree or something, right? Because she just like the best she could do is just use one wing yeah. and try to obey this. But uh, it, as Jake said, it was a, once you kind of figured out its pattern and the flat section is only kind of so far, they were able to corner it. It was yeah. very comical at some point. Uh, <laughs> it, it didn't last very long for us to be like, oh man, you know, we have to throw in the towel. But I suppose looking back, uh, at least we were, we knew what it was, where it was, we would have been able to corroborate and probably would have just rallied the troops. Yeah, put up some more people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now is there is there any thoughts of why like it just stayed on the trail? Because like, you know, that I mean, they're pretty small. If it's only like like 20 inches, it could waddle all over the place. Do you think it was actually looking for a rescue? Like it was like, hey, I'm injured, help me out. Huh? I don't yeah. think so. I don't think it. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think it did. But you know, I. I don't know. I don't know why it. Other than you know, not having, maybe just not having an instinct to explore, and sort of, uh, you know, boreal environment. Just being like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't really like being here. So <laughs> maybe yeah. you know, having a little familiar space. And Yanni mentioned it was more of an open space, so preferring, you know, that that space to the unknown beyond with all of its bears and foxes and whatnot. Yeah, that's crazy. And right above it was ice, right? So I think it was very obvious why it wouldn't be going up, right? It was just pure ice. There was nothing. Why it wouldn't go below? I honestly don't know. Yeah, it's one of those, the same mysterious mysteries. Right? That's an awesome coincidence, though. And then the also coincidence, like you you said up there with like a fox or something, it's been up there for a week and it hasn't been... Mm-hmm. Caught, so and you see coyotes cat there all the time you know it's like yeah, anyone true. who hikes in the catskills right so it is just like really shocking maybe that ice 
chased the wild animals down below in search of food. I don't know. Interesting. That's so crazy. Yeah. Now, like the the ride, how was the the ride? I know it's it's, it's a very short ride, but how was the ride to the Spruce and Trailhead to what's it called to Westkill? Like, was it just the same thing that you kept it wrapped and like held down and stuff? Yeah, I mean, apart from the ghost getting a bit aggressive when I changed my my layers, I just basically kind of tried to hold it more tightly. And I have some pictures you will see how it was kind of wrapped truly like a baby, you know, so uh-huh. it really did not do much except for the big you had to watch out for, you know. Wow. Yeah. And then it was in a box. So. So cool. And uh, yeah, so it was released. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Unbelievable stuff. Now, not, did you, on the way down, did you feed it with anything? Did you have anything to, to like give it to, to feed it with? I mean, I they might have possibly tried that's natural human reaction, but it eats like the aquatic grass, you know. So oh, just, interesting. So I did, not, I did not carry seaweed with me that day, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah those delicious seaweed sna- snacks would have been uh, well received. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. But another another you know good thing is is you you saved it number one, but uh, also number two, you guys knew that the environment it was in that it would not survive. I mean, it survived a week, but not, not much longer. So you knew to at least save it from that environment. Cause it wasn't going to get out like other, other animals, like hopefully people won't try to save a Fox or a coyote or something like that. They see them up there. That'd be, that'd be a whole nother story, but definitely. If- oh, no, some people who would totally. <laughs> Jake, is that you? Is she talking no. about you? <laughs> no, I'm thinking my friend, Michelle, she would totally do it. <laughs> oh, would she? Michelle. Good Lord. Yeah, she would, totally. Uh, But no, I mean, this one was a quote-unquote relatively easy rescue. The bird was small, right? It wasn't dangerous to us. Um, Compared to bears and stuff like that. So, like, I I mean, this this is a great example of, you know, you can rescue this animal. But stuff like bears and stuff like that, you shouldn't, do not try to self-rescue a bear or an aggressive animal like a fox or a coyote. You need to call... Like you said, Friends of the Feathered and Fury Wildlife Center or another wildlife center to get help for that. Cause that's just that's out of out of there. And like anything else you guys want to add about this amazing rescue? I should have named a beer after the duck. <laughs> Seriously, I mean that's a great idea. Yeah, we should uh mention it. Um but you know, it's so funny because after that, I mean it's been like four years. Every time we see Mike, he most of the time will be like, so, you know, have you rescued any geese recently? And uh, I ran into Ken and Brios, I should say. You know, I just love how it all comes together, right? right. Uh, just last month, and he was asking me, how's Mookie doing? I mean, so it is definitely a um, story that besides the feel-good part as far as, you know, saving an animal, uh, just great conversation starter, or that's how kind of people's, you know, remember you by because it was just such a crazy story it's not a bird you expect to see in the burial forest you know of course especially on like a, on a icy day like that maybe maybe in the summer yeah. or something like that for it to take a like a, a spot to chill or something like that like man i need to rest from flying but up in the freaking 3500 area is just it's just absolutely insane excellent jake you want to add anything no, I think that that just about covers it. Just, uh, you know, obviously want to thank, you know, Missy for what she did. 
And just shout out to friends of the feathered and furry wildlife center. I know you've, you've talked with, who did you talk? Was it Dave? Is that, was that, is that her husband? Um, you talked with, talked with him. Um, they did great work with all sorts of animals, um, including birds of all sorts, especially eagles. Um, yeah. Yeah. Eagles and bears are their specialty. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but you know, they know she knew uh, just what to do when we brought in a brand goose. So perhaps it wasn't her first time. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. And I guess I will add on, you know, since just, you know, will be very circular friends of of the Feathered and Fury are one of the local organizations that the club donates and supports on an annual basis. Right. And the donations that we do would not be possible without member fees and contributions. So thank you to all the aspirants and members who pay their dues and contribute because basically it's like your money that allows us to support local organizations. Correct. It's our money that we're putting our, that you're putting back into the community. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So excellent. Um, so what about uh now that we're kind of done with the the big goose rescue, heroic goose rescue on West Kill Mountain, post hike, brews and bikes, you want to plug in some places? What's your favorite place in the Catskills to have something to eat? Oh, uh well, I like uh I like the uh the Mexican restaurant in Kingston actually that we went to for our star dinner. That's pretty good. Sky to- uh, Sky Top, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. It's not really in the Catskills. It's sort of on the way out, but uh, I always enjoy, you know, a good good enchilada plate there. Um, you know, there's many many good places to uh, to eat, but if you're coming coming back east, uh you could do a lot worse. I mean, Sky, yeah. Sky Sky View uh, Mexican restaurant. That's a good one. I I enjoyed that very very much too as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good margaritas. Yeah. Sure, I have a few since I will double up since um, when I was talking to you last time, you didn't have this awesome picture. So I was thinking about it, which places I would um, plug. So along the 28 corridor, uh, obviously Brios, that's everyone's favorite, goes without a saying, Uh, but then also Picamos. Honestly, for the longest time, we thought it was just like really fancy. And then one day I went after after the hike and um, I just love it there. It's fantastic. You can have a fancy dinner there, but you can also sit by the bar. Or in the summer, sit outdoors, just amazing people and be constantly uh, very hiker-friendly too. Um, so definitely would recommend. And finally, I was so excited. Over the summer, I made it to Russian Mule, which is like two minutes from uh, the new Red Hill Trailhead in Clareville. Nice. Uh, so it's a brewery and a restaurant. Um, so they do have only kind of your limited vacant hours. So you have to plan accordingly. Basically, if you're planning a long bushwhack out of Neversink, probably you're not going to make it to <laughs> Russian Mule. But if you go and hike just Red Hill, that's the place to go. I mean, uh, if you're Phil Vondra, you can, you can make it there. Well, yes. I'm talking about, you know, mere mortals, especially if you like to talk <laughs> and stop and smell the roses. Yeah. Catch geese. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then if you're hiking in the northern uh, Catskills uh, that I call home on the weekends, uh, Chicken Run on Route 23 is like a really great place to go to fill up, especially if you're traveling back up north from Lexington. And then if you're hiking in Maple Crest and or doing trail maintenance uh, in Blackhead region, um, Zex in Maple Crest, it's just like as soon as you get into town, it's right there. And nice. I think they're only open during the week. So stash for you, it would be a good place to try because obviously you tend to sometimes hike on Tuesdays. So. Oh, yeah. 
fantastic burger. Check it out. Nobody's open on the, on the weekdays. That's unfortunate for me on Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah, Trizax, they're open. That awesome. I will plug all those into here. So yeah. excellent. Thank you guys uh, for for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us once again. It was fun. Good to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm very grateful that I know you guys as friends and that I've I've worked with you before. So I'm glad to have you on the show as many times as I can get you on there. Love the show. So um, yes, great to excellent. contribute. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you to the monthly supporters really appreciate it thank you to sponsor outdoor chronicles photography appreciate it thank you to all those who's given a coffee or a rum and coke that one do gave me a rum and coke that's one time good point um once again thank you jake and yana for joining me tonight on episode 59 of inside the line of catskills thank you stash thank you have a good night, guys. Merry Christmas. Thank Holy you. shit. Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Totally. Yeah. That's like in four Merry days. Christmas. Good Happy Lord. Christmas. Good Lord. Yeah. yeah. Have a good night. Yeah. Bye. Hey, guys. I just want to thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and throw down a smooth review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast platform that you use. You can also check daily updates of the podcast, hikes, hiking memes, and local news on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the official website of the show. Remember this, you just keep on living, man, L-I-V-I-N.